0: listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. So when we look to Scripture this week, ourselves Luke chapter number 7. Jesus has just He's just come off of the mountain. He's, he's just finished kind of giving the, uh, the Marching orders for those that are going to follow him, those that are going to move beyond just being in the crowd, and you know there 's always going to be people in the crowd there 's always going to be those that hear about the Lord that are going to that hear the, the about the miracles that he performed, some of the words that he said, and there 're always going to be folks that are curious about that and are going to be a part of the crowd. But what Jesus did in Luke chapter number six is he he gave them. An impression, a glimpse of what the kingdom is about. The kingdom that he's offering. The kingdom of God and its attributes. And what Jesus was saying throughout the entirety of Luke chapter 6 is that if you're going to follow me, then you're going to follow a different way than is being set before you by the world and that's being set before you by your own religious leaders. Your own teachers of the law are going to lead you astray. Like a blind man leading a blind man, they're going to lead you right into the ditch. And I'm sorry to say, you can't follow them into the kingdom because they've decided on a different way. And they've been teaching it for years and years and years. And not only that, in the chapters and verses just prior, these religious leaders had made a very bad decision. And so a bad decision on their part and on the part of all those who would lump themselves into their group. And that is this, they decided Jesus of Nazareth is unworthy of our time. We're not going to follow him, and neither should you. And in fact, we're going to look for an opportunity to remove him. Because he has got to go. And so when Jesus presents the elements or the attributes of the kingdom, he's doing it to the crowd at large. The leaders have said no. And so now Jesus' ministry is going to continue throughout the country and he's going to broadcast this message, and he's going to keep saying it over and over again. Follow me, but if you follow me, I want you to know in advance the way in which you will go. And That's what he did in, in chapter 6. It's a condensed version of, of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you, Doug, for finishing up chapter 6 for us last week. I very much appreciate you doing that. So when we come to chapter 7, Jesus is leaving the sermon. They're gathering up their stuff, and they're going to enter Capernaum. Capernaum was a city on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum was the place that Jesus had set up as his temporary home, if you will, his base of operation, where he would go back to if he needed to, to regroup and to rest and to gather supplies and whatever he needed to do. That's his temporary base of operation in Capernaum I had the privilege of going and 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 to be able to be on that mount and to be able to to see what possibly was that area in which people sat and listened on that little grassy area what an awesome opportunity that was to to be there but it's not too far from that spot from that location to the city, which really doesn't exist anymore. Modern day Capernaum is no longer there. There are some ruins there. There's a, a very neat place on a, on a hillside that's, uh, that's close to the sea that they think could possibly have been Peter's home. They've done excavation. They've built a structure around it and you can go and you can look at some rocks in a row and some other rocks on the other side of those rocks in a row. And, and, and they'll tell you and you'll read the little card and they'll say that this was possibly Peter's house. Or it could possibly have been a stable. We don't know what it was, but I had the privilege of walking where Capernaum was at one time. The Bible says that after he had finished all his sayings, verse number one of chapter seven, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. He came off the hillside, just going into the city, maybe to get a bite to eat, maybe just to regroup, maybe to bed down for the evening, whatever, we don't know. Verse number two says, now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. You've always got to remember when you read the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all have an agenda. And you're like, oh, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute. I thought this was God's Word. It is God's Word. But God, in His sovereignty, through the work of the Holy Spirit, used these gospel writers in, in very much the same way that, that he used David as David wrote poetry from his heart and his mind, but the Holy Spirit superseding through David and, and, and causing him to actually write the very words that would express the very truth about God. So that we in this time and those in times before and those in times after will be able to hear what God thinks about himself. In the same way, God used Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to incorporate the stories about Jesus' life. But each one of these four men had an agenda. Their agenda was to paint a picture of Jesus. To take the, the, the instances that they either were personally present for or had gotten eyewitness account of, which is what Luke is doing, and take those, those stories and those things and put them in an order that will paint a picture that they want painted, all the while being superintended by the Holy Spirit to do that very thing. So you've got to wonder why is it that that right after Jesus is giving a sermon about what it's to look like for his people to follow him into the way of the kingdom, why would the first thing after that, be about a Roman centurion who was not connected to the people of Israel at all. In fact, he was a part of the occupying enemy in the nation of Israel that the Israelites hated so much. Well, I think the reason Luke puts it here is because in Luke 7 verses 1 through 10, we see a picture of the faith that Jesus was calling his followers to. And I think that since it is a Roman who is exercising this faith, Luke put it there for that specific purpose. So that folks may see what it looks like, the thing that Jesus was talking about. The verses tell us that the centurion has a servant... And this servant is, is sick. The book of Matthew says that this servant is paralyzed, can't move. And this centurion has, has sent folks to see Jesus and ask him a question. Verse number three. When the centurion heard about Jesus, we don't know what he heard about Jesus. We don't know if he heard about what he was teaching, we don't know if he heard about his miracles, but surely he heard enough to know that Jesus could meet a need in his life. When a centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him elders of the Jews, probably not the elders of the synagogue probably not those guys probably these are the the high ranking officials in the city those that would have been like uh, they didn't have a mayor but those that would have been chief in the city a part of the clans that lived there and had lived there for many years these are the respectable individuals the respectable men in the city the centurion would have had connection with them because he would have been giving out Caesar's orders to them, and they would be carrying them out with the people. He sent the elders of the Jews asking him, Jesus, to come and heal his servant. Now this centurion, a Roman officer responsible for 100, around 100 soldiers, One of of several centurions, probably a a major or a captain in its comparison to what we're used to in our American military. He would have been one of several that led a hundred soldiers, a part of a 6,000 soldier legion. But the centurion was the backbone of the Roman army. The centurions made sure that each group of hundreds fought simultaneously and on command and then that Roman army of of hundred after hundred after hundred could do basically anything they wanted to anyone they wanted to do it to. So the centurion was a was an important person. He was probably a wealthy individual in comparison to other soldiers because he had command and his command was very very important to the way the Roman army worked. So this individual probably had some money, but no amount of money was causing his sick servant to recover. No doubt he had sought the help of physicians. No doubt he had sought the help of anyone who could come and offer some help to his servant in hopes that he would recover, but apparently nothing had happened. And so hearing about Jesus the miracle worker, the one who has healed those who were paralyzed, the one who has healed those who were blind, those who had done things that no one had ever been able to do other than the prophets of old that I've heard about. Now this Jesus is on the scene, and maybe he can help. And so he sent the elders to talk to Jesus. Now you would think, well, why wouldn't he go himself? We're going to learn about that in just a second, and that's very important to the story. Verse number four. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He, talking about the centurion, he is worthy to have you do this for him. And it seems like these folks are on the side of the Romans. But, but who did the Jews always hated? They always hated the Gentiles. And who were the most hated gentiles in their world were the occupying romans who came in and taxed them and abused them and treated them unfairly and 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 basically had their way and whatever they wanted was going to come to pass. And the Romans, they had no love for the people. They had no care. All they wanted was you to be able to produce resources for them, for what you do to be a benefit to us. But these Jewish elders are now coming and saying to Jesus, Jesus, please, can you help this Roman by healing his servant? He's worthy of your attention. Why did they say that? He loves our nation. And he is the one who built us our synagogue. So these folks are coming to bat for this Roman because they say he loves, he's different, Jesus. This Roman is different. Well, how do you know he's different? Well, because he used his resources to help build us our synagogue. I actually think this says a, a, a very specific truth about this Roman. Apparently, this centurion did, in fact, love the people that he was surrounded by there was a connection that he had to them and probably it was a connection to the god they worshipped probably he had got connected and begun hearing the stories maybe as they were gathered around having no synagogue gathered around hearing the stories about moses leading their people through the sea hearing stories about Joshua who marched around with the with just the normal folks to, to to just be silent and then to blow trumpets and to scream and the God of Israel breaking down the walls maybe they he had heard about this king by the name of David who when he was just a young boy had gone out into the valley to face the giant of the Philistines and God allowed him to be victorious over this one who was far outmatched to him maybe this centurion had just heard and heard and heard about this god and 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 maybe he had become convicted about this god maybe he had become curious about this one but but rather, wh- whether or not he had he had taken of his own resources and said what can i do to help you and they said well you know we don't have a synagogue here we could sure use one and he financed it you know, as a church, we are on a 10-year on a march right now. You say, what is that? Well, we uh, recently, y'all, y'all know about this, we recently sold the facility to uh, Oasis Christian Academy, and then and we've got a 10-year lease with them. It's a great lease, and we're positioned well to be able to, to plan and to save and to think. But in 10 years, we don't know where we're going to be, which that's okay because we don't have to know where we're going to be. You know why? God knows where we're going to be. He's got it all worked out. We ain't got to worry about that. We just need to be with the right attitude and uh, with the right willingness at the right time, and he'll show us. But what would it look like if someone came in and said, hey, where are y'all going to be in 10 years? like, well, we don't know. He's like, well, look, what if I were to buy you some land and build you a building? Do you think anyone would go, get behind me, Satan? <laughs> no so if you're here today and you've got some money and some land no I'm just so I'm just saying it makes total sense this dude had endeared himself to them why because he built them a spot to worship and it leads us to think that he probably wasn't being a jerk about them worshiping there Chances are great that he told the soldiers, "Hey, look! When you're doing your drills on Saturdays, don't be doing it around the synagogues. Get out there so that they can worship their God in peace and quiet." Well, we don't know, but that's very likely what was going on with these with this centurion. So they come to Jesus and they say, "He's worth. It. He's a good guy." Jesus will. Built us a synagogue. He loves the nation. He's going to bat for us. We're going to bat for them. Verse number 6. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy. You see, the folks had come to him, and they're they're going to bat. this. This man is worthy of your help, Jesus When Jesus is is down the road, he sends another group to stop him from going any farther. And this group comes to him and says, the centurion says to stop. He's not worthy. Don't trouble yourself. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. You see, Centurion knew enough about the Jewish law to know that a Jew was not allowed into the the Gentile home without becoming ceremonially unclean. And so he knew that Jesus was on his way to, to break the traditions that were taught in the synagogue that he helped build. And he's like, no, 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 I don't need you unclean. I need you to stop. I need you to be out there. I'm not worthy for you to come in and potentially defile yourself. What he says next is very, very interesting. Well, then what do you want us to do? He's he's coming to heal the servant. We've talked him into coming. What do you want? Why do you stop him out there? What do you want him to do? Verse 7. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, Jesus. I'm not That's why I didn't even come to you. I'm not worthy of your time. But say the word and let my servant be healed. Jesus, I, I... I sent those guys to you. I want you to heal my servant, but, but I, I, you can't come any farther. I'm not worth, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Think, think back when, when Jesus was in the boat with Peter early on. You remember he's preaching from Peter's boat and Peter doesn't really yet have a connection to Jesus. And, uh, you know, he's like, Hey, Peter, I want you to launch out into water now that I'm done with my sermon. And he's like, I've been fishing all night. Y'all watch you chosen. You're watching the chosen, right? You need to watch the chosen. It's good. And so Jesus says, just push out a little further. And Peter's like, um, I've been fishing all night. I ain't caught anything. Jesus like, trust me, just push out a little further. Just throw your nets out throws his nets out, and what happens? The net just becomes teeming with fish so much they couldn't even pull it over into the boat. Had to have James and John come to help Andrew and Peter to pull it over. The catch was enormous. It wasn't the time of day to fish. It wasn't in the part of the water where fish lived. And yet when Jesus said, throw your net over, the fish came and filled the net. And what did Peter say to Jesus? Depart from me, Lord. Ah. I don't know who you are, but I got no business in your presence. Think about the centurion. Stop. Don't come any closer. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Just say the word and let my servant be healed. Well, Well, I thought you wanted Jesus to come and heal your servant. Wait. He says in verse 8, I too am a man set under authority. I'm a centurion. I'm under authority to the one above me. They're under the authority of the one above them. I get it. When orders come down, I do what I've been told to do by my superiors. And not only that, not only am I a man under authority with soldiers under me, I'm a man in authority. I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Hey, I know how it works. I know how authority operates. When I'm told by my authority to do, I do. When I tell somebody under my authority to do, they do. So Jesus, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Verse number 9. When Jesus heard these things. Luke, why why did you put this about the Roman right after you're talking about what it looks like to follow you? When Jesus heard these things. From who? From a Gentile, a Roman, a centurion, a part of the occupying nation. When he heard these things, he marveled. That word marveled means he was incredibly impressed. It's, It's like when we see someone do something amazing. It's like why YouTube was founded, right? To watch folks do amazing, possibly dangerous, possibly even comically dangerous. But when it works out, you go, whoa did you see and you'll run it back and you'll watch it again and you'll run it back and you'll and then you'll send it off to your buddies you got to watch this this man's going to jump off a house he's going to jump on the trampoline flip over the four-wheeler land on the horse right off into sunset it is awesome i'm impressed you say that ain't real (laughs) google it not now i don't know i did just make it up but i just got to believe somebody did it we get impressed even as kids, we want to be impressive. <laughs> what do kids always say to Daddy? Hey, Daddy, watch me. And then they do something and it's incredibly goofy. You know, they watch me do a flip. And then they sit down and they like roll over and throw their feet up in the air. And then they stand up, ta-da. And then what they want you to do, they want you to go, good job, sweetie. That's awesome. We want to be impressive and we honestly We like to be impressed. God is sovereign. Like, He made it all. He has the ability to do whatever, whenever, however. There's none like Him. And yet Jesus, when He heard these words, went... sink in for a second i'm impressed he says turning to the crowd that followed him he said i tell you not even in israel have i found such a faith <laughs> i've been doing miracles I, i've been preaching i've been teaching and the folks i'm preaching and teaching to, they know what to expect they, they've been hearing from the prophets all this time, all growing up, they've been hearing what Messiah is going to do and say, and I'm doing and saying, I'm doing more than they ever imagined, I'm doing miracles in front of them. And they're all still going, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe you think, I don't know. Jesus like, I'm impressed. Brother's not even one of us, and yet his faith is greater than any I have found in Israel. I think what Jesus basically said is, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I was telling y'all about up on the hillside. What he just did, that's it. That's the kind of faith I'm talking about. Now that is impressive faith. What is impressive faith? I wrote a few things down. Impressive faith asks specifically impressive faith just looks and and sees and just goes you know what I'm just gonna ask I'm just gonna put this in front. it just asks specifically it doesn't go well you know maybe I should maybe I shouldn't shoot so far maybe I should just rain it back a little bit no they go Lord this is what I'm saying that's impressive faith It's honest faith. It's just, it's where you are and it's saying, this is what I think, this is what I want. Father, I'm coming to you and I'm just asking you for what I think is best for me or for another or for the situation or for the nation or for the world or whatever. God, this is what I think and I'm just telling you and I'm laying it out there for you because I think interested for that centurion to do that how bold was he well this is a jewish rabbi the jews hate the romans so wouldn't it make sense for this jewish rabbi to also hate the romans probably but you know what the romans said hey you know what's it gonna hurt well it hurt i've exercised all i can do you know what i'm gonna do i'm just gonna lay it out there to this one that i believe can do something impressive faith asks specifically but impressive faith demonstrates humility you know a lot of times when we go to God and we ask and we throw out our specific cry a lot of times we do it thinking we deserve what we're asking for and there are times when we reinforce that to one another and when we're praying for one. Of the, Lord, now you know you need to help Charlie get that uh, that that can-am that he wants. You know that two two wheels in the front, and one in the back, in the way. Anybody would want one of those, but Charlie does. I want him to have one. Now, Lord, you know he deserves that. Or maybe Charlie's in his praise, going, Lord, you know I want I want to take my wife on journeys. and We want to ride all over the country. But now, you, Lord, you know I've been serving you for a long time now. You said ask anything in your name and you'll give it. Well, now I'm asking and I got a pretty good track record and you ought to be pleased enough for me to give it to me. Impressive faith demonstrates humility. Impressive faith says, I don't deserve anything. Yesterday, Stacy and I were riding with the funeral director to the graveside and he was telling us that he's retiring in a year. And guess where he's retiring to? Nova Scotia brother has bought a house in Nova Scotia with the mountains in the background and the ocean in the foreground got several acres gave not a lot and he gonna spend the summers up there I mean I was I was impressed Nova Scotia how do you even get there he told me go up 95 hit Maine take a left go through New Brunswick you're there 30 hours later okay cool and as we were sitting there, I said to him, I said, well, you know what? He goes, I, I've, been, I've been in this for 40, 42 years, I think he said. He said and, I, and I said, well, you know what? You deserve that. And his response back to me was the right response. He said, well, I, I don't deserve anything, but God's blessed me. And I went, touche, brother. You're right. We don't deserve anything impressive faith says lord I, i'm going to lay that out there to you i'm going to tell you i'm going to explain it i'm going to walk you through my 5 year plan i'm going to let you know when would be a good time to do this and that and everything i'm going to lay it out there but then i'm going to back up and i'm going to go but i don't i don't deserve anything lord just don't, no 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 don't, don't 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 come any farther i just wanted you to know what i wanted but i'm i know i'm not i'm not worthy i don't deserve it in fact, I'm gonna take you off the hook, Lord. I'm gonna take you off the. I don't. I don't even. Deserve, but that is, you told me to tell you. So that's what I want. I Humility. But impressive faith believes completely. Like, this, Lord, that's what I'm thinking. And and I know I don't deserve it. And and I know it's it's not about what I bring to the table. It's just about you. But you know, I'm gonna I'm sit down here because if if you decide that's what you want to do. I completely believe you can do it. You can do it that way. You can do it some other way. In fact, you can do it in ways that, that I couldn't even imagine. Impressive faith just believes completely. And I wrote this one down. If you're following along in version or, or, the, or the church app, if you don't have the Oasis Church app, you need to download that thing. Google Play, Apple Store, get it on your phone. I thought of one after I finished the outline impressive faith then waits patiently boy we don't like that we do not like patience it's when God says okay Charlie I'm gonna give you that can-am later <laughs> I don't know I, I wanted to give it to you tomorrow we wait we say and we go well, and then I'm gonna sit down and you go well how long are you gonna wait I'm just gonna wait because I'm not the one to I'm believing completely and I'm waiting patiently. A lot of times with God because He don't think He ought to do that He can do when we want Him to. When sometimes the best lesson He's trying to teach us is just to wait. Oh, we don't like to wait. Pull up to the second window? Really? Why do I need to pull up? Are you not making fries all day? (laughs) Nobody's praying for fries. I'm just saying we get upset about waiting for that. Impressive faith then sits back and just waits. How long are you going to wait? I'm going to wait as long as it takes, I guess. Impressive faith submits to authority. Authority. You see, what that Roman said was, look, I'm a man over authority. When I tell folks to do stuff, they do it. But when authorities over me tell me to do stuff, I do it. Impressive faith says, believes, waits, humbles themselves, and then submits to authority by saying, but Lord, you know better. You know better. I heard a, an illustration. I, I'll mess it up. I heard an illustration about a man in World War II who was going to, he, he was set apart to go in under stealth and destroy an enemy camp. He had the TNT, he was going to blow up that camp. When he got there, he saw a Nazi on the outside of the camp with his rifle and a prisoner of the Allied. Uh, armies that soldier was outside and he was about to execute this prisoner soldier now that fellow on a mission had a choice to make could he have saved the life of that one soldier yes he could he could have taken out the the enemy combatant and and he could have saved the life of that one but that would have alerted the encampment of his presence and that would have kept the remainder of those soldiers able to take the lives of many other allied forces so that one step and allowed that to happen broke his heart but just a few hours later he completed his mission And hundreds, maybe thousands of allied forces were able to continue their march. Because that bigger mission had been done at the cost of the smaller mission. Now we don't put God in human terms like that. But submitting to authority is saying, God, what you're going to do and what you're doing is way more important than what I'm asking. If 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 your purpose in life is going to benefit more by taking this one that I love, even when they're not at the ripe old age having lived a solid life, if God, if your purpose is going to be greater at the expense of this sorrow that I've got to go through, I'm submitting to your authority. And I'm telling you, I don't know how to do that, but I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit in me will give me that kind of faith when that time comes. It's submitting to authority. It's God, i got a servant. He's special to me. I want you to heal him. I want him to recover. I'm not worthy of it. You can say it. I believe you just say the word and he'll be healed. But ultimately, you know what's best. I'm not putting you on the hook. Whatever you do is going to be best. I'm going to submit to that. And Jesus goes, that's what I'm talking about. That's complete Surrender by Roman. Impressive faith. What did Jesus do? Verse 10. And when those who returned to the found the servant well, what did Jesus do? He word didn't touch him, didn't say anything, didn't do anything, just Verse number 11. Afterward, he went to a town called, about 25 miles southwest of Capernaum. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. A considerable crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bear, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. So Luke says, Look at this impressive faith. By a Roman... Not even a Jew. And look what Jesus did. He heals a man he's not even in the room with. And I think Luke's hope is that Theophilus, Luke 1 1, that's who he's writing this about, and others who would read his gospel account would be going, No way. He was impressed by a Roman. And then, y'all, Jesus healed a guy he couldn't even see. He wasn't even touching. He didn't even say anything. He just fought i guess and he was healed and luke's like oh yeah hold on 25 miles south jesus walks up on a funeral procession of a woman carrying her only son she's a widow in that culture she had no hope of a future Because without a husband or children to care for her, she could not legally own property. She could not legally run a business. She was going to be left to the charity or the abuse of those around her. She was in a dire situation carrying her only son. The great crowd was there mourning because they knew not only was her heart broke, but her life could be potentially over. This woman was in a broken, faithless situation. I don't know if she'd ever heard of Jesus. I don't know if she knew anything about Him. But she didn't have anybody to go send for Him. She was just at a hopeless situation. Broken, weeping. And Jesus walks up on her. No call, no faith, no nothing. And Jesus says, I want you to stop crying what kind of statement is that? Stop crying. How can I stop crying? My life is over. And Jesus reaches up and touches the plank of wood that they're carrying. This man who has been wrapped in Possibly 75 pounds worth of spices just to keep the smell from resonating. This man was not just fainted. He was, he was gone and he's on this plank. And he puts his hand up on the plank and they let him down to the ground. And Jesus says, hey buddy, get up. And the dead man sat up. Going... What and I just imagine there's probably some women standing around that were looking, and all of a sudden they're just like, oh, and they fell over probably. No, just, that's how they do in the movies. You know, oh, you know they fall over. Probably some dudes that couldn't stand it either. <laughs> Get up. Takes his hand, puts it in the mother's hand. I just, I'm just imagining a woman's going, who are you? And the crowd is going crazy. High-fiving, probably chest bumping. They're running around, they're telling. And it spread like wildfire. So I think what Luke was saying is, that's the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for. The the kind that is specific and humble and, and believes completely and submits and waits patiently And he's the guy with unlimited ability. He did not make a guy who was crippled stand up and walk. He did not cause a blind man to receive sight. He caused a dead boy to sit up. And that spread rapidly. We got, they thought, a prophet on our hands. And they had no idea who they had in their presence. God the Son. Incarnate in flesh. Demonstrating in word and deed who He is. But coming to lay down His life. To pay for your sin and mine. To be raised victorious so that He could declare us righteous and forgiven. Jesus. The ultimate power. Seeking those that will exercise impressive faith. So that the world may hear about. With simple faith. Trust. Application. Number one. Stop presuming on God to do what you want Him to do. Keep asking, keep telling, keep coming boldly, but stop thinking that God's got to do what you're asking Him to do the way you're asking Him to do it. You know why? Because you don't know everything. In fact, you don't know anything about most things. He knows everything about everything. Tell Him what you want. Knowing that he cares for you, but stop presuming. And then quit getting mad at God when he doesn't do what you ask him to do. He knows better than you do. Rather, exercise faith that seeks him specifically, humbly, believes him completely, and submits to his authority. When I say exercise, I mean put it to work. You're not going to want to do that. You're going to want to fall back off and I make this happen myself, or I I guess God's just not interested in what's going on with me. No. Come to Him boldly. Wait on Him patiently. Tell Him honestly. Submit to His authority. Exercise that faith. Try to impress Jesus, not with the deeds you do, not with the works that you're able to accomplish. Try to impress Jesus this week with the way you exercise your faith in Him. That'll be a great workout for every single one of us. And then lastly, listen to me, y'all. Don't allow any situation that you find yourself in in this life to make you feel hopeless. Because the God who loves you The God who made a way of forgiveness and restoration for you. The God who, if you are placing your faith in the crucified and risen Son, is going to raise you from the dead with our brothers who have gone on before us. If that's your God, then we got to stop letting earthly situations make us feel hopeless. We're emotional, we're weak, we're broken. There's no way we're going to be able to in ourselves stop. But it's when we are at our lowest that we need one another to come alongside us and go, hey, listen now, I know you're low. I'm here with you. I'm going to stay right there with you all the way through it. But you've got to remember, we got a good shepherd. He's walking with us through this valley. He's going to take us through this. It's not hopeless. You're not helpless. He's in control. Submit to his authority. He's going to use you no matter what. And then when he walks you through it, then you'd be ready to come along around the other side of somebody else when there can't nothing in this life be too big. Let's stand. Maybe it is you're here today and you've never tried. Maybe you don't know what it's like to be a part of the family of God, because you've never been born anew by faith, and by faith alone in the person and the work of Jesus. Well, I want to invite you to do that today. It's simple. It's, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself, and no matter how hard I try, I'll never be good enough to be worthy of your righteousness. But I believe that even in my sin, you loved me. Even in my position as an enemy, with, with no love for you at all, you Incorporated flesh in the person of Jesus. You walked perfectly. You walked righteously. You filled every and fulfilled every level of righteousness. In keeping with laws and statutes and all of God's holiness remained intact in Jesus. And yet you gave yourself in my place. You became my sin for me. And you paid for it all on Calvary. And then God raised you victorious over my sin and death and you are willing to place your righteousness on me free of charge just by belief. God, I trust you today. I surrender my life to you today. Boy, I hope if you're here and you've never trusted Christ you won't leave here having not done so. Become part of the family. Let God birth you in, let Him adopt you as one of us, one of His kids. Perfect? Are you kidding? Redeemed? Completely. Walking? Best we can, every day, together. Putting His Word to practice, working out that faith till it gets stronger and stronger. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus who has ultimate ability. We surrender to him. We want to be useful to him. We want to be used by him. We want to please him with our faith. And God, we want you to draw others to yourself. And would you use us to do so? Make us catalysts of your love. Make us funnels of your gospel into the ears and hearts. Those we come into contact with on a daily basis. God, use us for your glory. We love you. We trust you. For us in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said.